Hello, everyone. Thank you for joining me for another episode of Beer with Darren. Tonight, I am joined by a man that literally wrote the book on influencer marketing. Uh, Neil Schaefer, how are you? It's good to see you. Hey, Darren. I'm doing awesome. How are you doing, my friend? Yeah, not too bad. Thank you. Not too bad. So just before we uh, get into everything, we need to talk about what we're drinking now. I know you're not on the alcohol because it's uh, in the middle of the day for you, but I'm on the Peroni, uh, which is very, very nice. What, what are you on? What are you drinking? Italian beer. I love it. Well, I am on a uh, Nespresso machine uh, latte with oat milk in the one hand. I have my Perrier carbonated in the other. Uh, in the evening, I normally have uh, some red wine. I prefer Californian Pinot Noir. And I'm an avid beer drinker as well. Uh, I tend to drink a lot of Mexico. I'm in Southern California, so Pacifico, Corona, uh, they're all great beers. Nice. So Corona got introduced to me through um, the Fast and Furious films. I don't know. That's the first time I ever saw Corona. <laughs> Straight away, I was like, this is amazing. Um, but it's, yeah, it, it, It's the beer that you put a, you know, a lemon in or a lime in, and yeah, it's, it's wonderful. Yeah, I'm, I'm not quite Peroni, but I'll stick with the Peroni for now. Um, for, for the people that are listening and watching on YouTube who, who haven't heard of you, do you mind just giving a little bit about background about how you uh, got into influencer marketing? Sure. Well, I'm a digital and social media marketing consultant, speaker, author. There's a lot of us out there. Uh, I've been doing this, man, I started my blog back in 2008. Um, I wrote my first book, which was on LinkedIn. So I, I know we have a big B2B audience. I actually wrote two books on LinkedIn back in 2009 and 2011, uh, launched my own podcast in 2013. And I, you know, I do a lot of speaking, you know, teaching, blogging, what have you. And I just tend to try to find, you know, what are the needs of my audience, which are mainly marketers, entrepreneurs, and business owners. And I just noticed a few years ago that there, I was getting a lot of questions about influencers and influencer marketing. And as I dug a little bit deeper, I, I really saw that people weren't talking about it the way they needed to be talking about it, that I thought that marketers were almost being misled, miseducated. So I started to become a man on a mission. So I, you know, I, I test marketed the book idea. I got some great feedback and I wrote the book, which uh, published right before we went on lockdown in California. So uh, not the best of timing came out this year, you know, March of 2020. It's called The Age of Influence. But I, I think it really helps you redefine digital influence. And for instance, as I was doing research in the book, obviously you have this influencer marketing industry that we all, we all know about the Kim Kardashians, Instagram and TikTok and YouTube gamers. But, you know, every business has influencers they can engage with. And with a lot of businesses, okay, especially B2B, those influencers are actually people that already like, know, and trust them. They're, they're fans, they're customers, they're partners, and yes, they're employees. So I tie together you know, not just B2C influencer marketing, but B2B influencer marketing and brand advocacy and employee advocacy is what we would call that. And being a former B2B salesperson myself, you know, B2B organizations should have their salespeople as influencers out there on LinkedIn, for instance, right? So when you begin to look at all that through the lens of influence, you begin to uncover a lot of different ways in which you can collaborate and really have impact with your marketing. Absolutely. And, and one of the things I love what you said there was employee advocacy. There's so many different terms for it. But actually, I was reading. I was reading something you put out about it actually being more like an influencer, um, employee right? influencer. Yep. Yeah, and I, I think that's exactly what it is, especially when it comes to salespeople, because salespeople are connecting with their prospects all day long. They're, the average salesperson has around two and a half thousand connections on LinkedIn, and you, as a marketer, you want to you want to tap into those connections. You want to get your content, your your, your lead gen content, whatever it may be, in front of those people. But for some reason, there's always that barrier. And Sal say, no, I'm too busy. I'm, 
I've got to hit the phones. I've got to do these things. What's your What's your sort of thoughts on how you get over those obstacles? So I think we need a mindset shift in how we approach this problem. So the problem is, I believe, that we are still looking at employees as if it was that employee advocacy. Marketing creates content. Why aren't our employees sharing it? And you can get stuck in that paradigm and never be successful. If you treat employees as influencers, though, you actually ask them, how can we help you? We're a big company. We have a lot of followers. We have a lot of content. We have a lot of resources. How could we work together? And maybe the salesperson says, you know what? I don't want to share your content, but I want to, I want to publish something on our blog. Awesome, right? Hey, you interview other people on our podcast. Why aren't you interviewing me? Great. So you begin to look at not just employees, but influencers in general, not just amplifiers of your content, but actually include them as part of your content, create content with them. I think it's more valuable to ask salespeople, what are their customers talking about? What questions are they getting asked and develop content from that than to ask a salesperson to amplify your content or ask salespeople, hey, you know, we're, we're going to launch a podcast. We want to feature our customers. Can you pick one or two of like our biggest fan customers and reach out to them and make that happen? And if you can make that happen, you know, we're going to do something special for you, right? When we think of influencers as, as, as having influence that can help us along all sorts of areas, especially with B2B and content, I think that's where the greater value is. And I think that's where a lot more companies are realizing it's not just about the amplification. If they amplify it, it's, it's icing on the cake. But even without the amplifying, developing relationships that relate to content and relate to bringing in the end customer into your content, I think that that's going to have way more impact in your marketing over time. Absolutely. So going right back to the drawing board most with them and starting at the brainstorming side rather than at the end, at the, at the end of the result and then complaining at the end. And, it, it's really and it's treating them as influencers. Instead of having a, having a medium between marketing and sales or you need to share this, it's like, hey, salespeople, you guys are rocking social media. Yeah, you know, you're doing it on behalf of the company, but you're building your personal brand. That's awesome. How can we help you? Oh, you want to take better photos? Okay, we'll, we'll do a photo shoot. We'll take you around town and do a photo shoot. You want videos? Great, we'll create a video studio, right? And, and actually, I see brands starting to do this with what we call nano influencers of actually training them to become better influencers. You want personal brand training? Great, we'll give it to you. Oh, you're a salesperson. You don't know how to use LinkedIn? Great, we'll give you LinkedIn training. Those are the only employee advocacy programs that actually succeeded we're the ones that invested in the training, right? So that that's something else that you can bring to the table. And you know, when you become friends with these people and you're helping them, it's natural that they're going to share your content without you even having to ask them, right? But it, it is doing a reset. And that's why I like the idea of employee influencer, because it just means that you're going to treat them more as an influencer and less demand and request and more collaborate. And it's the collaborative mindset that I think is going to get you a lot more results. And where do you where do you usually measure this? So I speak to a lot of marketers and they're measured on things like MQLs that so then they convert to SQLs. And there's a whole thing in the industry right now to say that we should be scrapping those sorts of measurements and just measure revenue. Where do you measure success when it comes to influencers? I like to speak the language of Excel. So is the influencer doing something that's either making us money or saving us money? And in many ways, when you leverage, let's say, employees for content, it's saving you money. I think B2B marketing budgets, I think I read from the Content Marketing Institute, like 40% of marketing budgets were going towards content. So, so think if you can leverage internal resources for that content, 
I believe not only are you going to save a lot of money, but because it's someone within the brand writing the content, it's going to be better, more converting content. On the other side, we have, how do they help our sales? We all have the concept of a funnel. So at some point of the funner, funnel, influencers are going to help us. If they share the content, how many website visits did we get? How many of those converted into leads? How many of them converted into customers? So I think that there is a way to measure all this, but you have to have the funnel set up and understand what activity with the influencer is going to affect what part of the funnel. And then you're going to say, hey, okay, leads generated 50% Google ads, 5% organic social, 5% influencers. That's that's where I think you can get to if you do the right measurements and have the right systems in place. Absolutely. And and that's one thing I'm I'm a strong believer in. Google Analytics is is Sometimes it frustrates the head out of me, I'll be honest, but it's uh, the goal conversions you can set up, UTM tracking. If you set all of these things up, you can you can measure these things. Um, one, of, one of the things that people often struggle with is getting buy-in from the, from the company, from the CEO even. And quite often you've got a marketer sitting there knowing that if we can achieve these things, if we can achieve this social setting, we will have a positive effect. What do you do when your CEO is quite often the CEO used to be a salesperson, right? And and they they have a mentality of, well, we know the phone gives this much ROI if we do this many dials, if we get this many things. How would you go about changing that mindset at, at leadership level? So I think the biggest influencer in your company above and beyond the salespeople should be your CEO and underneath that your executive team, right? And I, I look at this as it's the same thing we were talking about 10 years ago when something called social media just started. And companies and CEOs like that's a that's a freaking waste of time. You, what are you playing around on social media all day? Okay, ten years later they understand that they have budget, right? But it was really hard at the beginning to get budget for social media. We are already doing the SEO and pay per click. We don't need LinkedIn. So you know, look at where we are today. I think the exact same thing happens with influencer marketing. It begins with education. It begins with experimenting, and it begins with painting a picture that says, okay. You know, we're getting we're getting how many leads from phone calls. We're also getting how many online leads. And by the way, we started with this influence, a really, really small project, didn't need to request budget for it. We took it out of our existing budget. And these are the results we got. And this is why we think it can be more impactful if we have more budget. And by the way, you know, if we can interview you for our blog or for our podcast, and we can set you up to be more influential, that's gonna help everything we do. Give us the keys to your account, you know, we'll manage it for you if you don't want to do it, which a lot of CEOs and executives have other people do it. But that would be my approach if I were in those shoes. To, to actually just prove it, pick, pick a small small goal, prove that goal, and then get them to get their attention. That's how most people started with social media businesses. They never got approval. Maybe they did it on their own personal profile. I have a friend who, wor who works at the local transportation authority. He started a, a page for his dog and suddenly had like several thousand followers. He figured out how it all worked and and he was able to sort of pitch his company on, on, on why they needed an account. So I think it's the same way. It's also, there's a lot of case studies out there um, you know, my book, The Age of Influence, I think is a great way to, to school them on this as well. But do a search for for case studies. Uh, try to find people in your industry that are doing it. And that's another one. It's like they may poo-poo it, but when they see their competitors are doing it, they'll be like, why aren't we doing this? Um, yeah, I, I see a lot awful. of this. <laughs> Straight away, it's your fault for not doing it already. Yeah. Why have you been so slow on this influencer marketing? We should have been doing it. Yeah, you know, a lot of CEOs will say that. So. <laughs> Yeah, and the frustrating thing, you mentioned social media. A lot of people are still just getting on the social media train now, and I feel like they've missed the opportunity. You know, the, the opportunity's gone. Facebook organic reach is, is arguably dead for company pages, and that, that opportunity has, has been and gone, and 
yeah, it's uh, it's frustrating when you hear people now not getting on the LinkedIn train because I think the LinkedIn train is about to about to really go fast, and eventually you'll miss that opportunity. Do, do you see LinkedIn come into like the pinnacle quite soon? Yeah, you know, LinkedIn is the only social network. If you think about it, all the other social networks require hundred percent on ads. LinkedIn has a recruiting solution. LinkedIn has Sales Navigator. So LinkedIn doesn't have to use the algorithm for 100% pay to play. They can actually give a little bit of love to company pages uh, or and to people. And we also have a supply and demand. The newsfeed, there's a lot of people that are reading it, but there's not that much content. Most professionals just don't share content, right? So there's definitely opportunity. I think anyone in marketing, if you had 100 you know, Facebook fans, 100 Twitter followers, 100 Instagram followers, and 100 followers on your LinkedIn company page, and you publish the exact same content every day for a week, I am going to assume you're going to get both more impressions and more engagement from your LinkedIn company page. The only other social network right now that might compare of those that I mentioned is Instagram, where you might get even more impressions. You might get less engagement. You'll definitely get less clicks because it's not part of the equation. So yeah. LinkedIn definitely, I mean, if you compare it to a Facebook page, it, they're definitely outperforming them. And, you know, On the one hand, I agree with you, Darren, like people miss the boat. On the other hand, I always think it's never too late because, you know, companies start and stop. And if you can build a community with unique content and get, you know, influencers, get employees to participate in it, I still think you can make it happen. But organically speaking, outside of LinkedIn company pages and even with LinkedIn company pages, it's still heavily pay to play in 2020, which is why you want the voices of people to speak for you. And those are employees and influencers, right? Absolutely. And one one thing you didn't mention there was TikTok. What's your opinion on TikTok in B2B? Yeah, I didn't mention TikTok because I knew our audience was B2B. So there's my response. <laughs> um, you know, TikTok probably gives you the most impressions just because there's so few content creators. It's such a, there's such a barrier to entry to create the type of content, you know, dancing with, with music in the background that TikTok viewers are used to. Um, I think that there is so much companies should be doing with, you know, blogging, YouTube videos, I'd even go for podcasting over TikTok because I just think that the business audience is less on TikTok and more on these other networks. And your content's discoverable it, it, you know, for, for many years, whereas on a TikTok, it, it's up and it's down. I mean, if people scan through your profile, that's one thing. But in general, you know, social media is quite uh, ephemeral. I mean, it doesn't, there, there's no long lasting power. The power is in getting people back to your website. And, and therefore, the biggest influencer of them all for me is Google. And I just saw, I, you know, one keyword, I went up the rankings and I'm getting, you know, like a thousand more traffic hits a day. You know, I, I don't know how viral your posts go on social media, but to get a thousand traffic hits on a social media post, that's pretty hard, <laughs> even for people that are considered influencers like myself. So, you know, just saying that you need to put it all in perspective. And I spend myself, I, I, you know, working with my clients, yes, you have to do social, but I see it more as a way to collaborate with influencers, whereas you have your bedrock content in your blog, on YouTube videos, and in a podcast. And that's your, the sort of pillars you're driving back to. Yeah. One thing you mentioned earlier was that most professionals on LinkedIn don't share content. I like to call them LinkedIn lurkers. They're people that just yep. sort of hang around, they don't comment, they don't contribute, but they're always reading. Um, how do you, if you've got somebody that's a LinkedIn lurker and they listen to this, how do they go from a LinkedIn lurker to building up a follower to building up followers to to actually making that jump to being a contributor? Yeah, so I think it begins with, uh, and it's just it, it's the same steps of how do you become an influencer in your industry, right? Begins with your personal branding because the personal branding defines 
like what your bio looks like, what your photo looks like, what your background cover photo looks like, your professional headline and all the text, right? In LinkedIn, your personal branding is heavily skewed towards what you do for a living, right? Uh, how do you help people? How do you help businesses? So once you understand that, what about like personal things that differentiate you from the hundred other salespeople or the hundred other recruiters or the hundred other marketers that are out there? What's special about you? And it's really tying those things together and then saying, okay, you know, I'm going to redo my profile. It's going to be heavily branded around me as a unique individual. It's going to showcase my strengths. And then it's about building a network, right? Because if you want to get people to, to read and act on your content, you need to have people in your network. So it's going through the process, going through your database, you know, your CRM, you know, emails, uh, LinkedIn gives you the ability to update, you know, upload all these and search for contacts that are on LinkedIn. You can look for people you used to work with, uh, look for people that went to university with you. I would, if you haven't done that, or even if you have done that, but you haven't done it recently, like in the last year, I mean, LinkedIn's up to 700 million users now. So there's new people coming on all the time. I would, you know, absolutely get that database going. I always say multiply your age by 10, and that's the number of connections you should have. So I don't expect college students to have 200, but I do think if you've been doing sales or marketing for five or 10 years, you go to conferences, you meet customers, you meet people locally, you should be at that 250, 300 range. And then it's a matter of publishing content, right? So this gets down to content that can actually help your business, or maybe it's content about your industry that you just read every day. I mean, it's just a matter of after you're reading it, sharing it, sharing a link. Hey, you know, um, they say that uh, Java jobs are, you know, th this report says that jobs in the Java language, uh, you know, are seeing a reduction in demand, but my clients are saying that they can't find enough of them. What do you think? And then you share a link to a post about, you know what I mean? That sort of thing, especially as you connect with your customers, right? That sort of thing generates the engagement, generates the conversation that keeps you top of mind. Once someone likes or comments on your post, chances are it's gonna show up more prominently next time. So it's getting into this habit. Once you get the, the infrastructure is the branding, which is your personal profile and the connections, it, then it's getting in the habit, maybe once a week, twice a week, three times a week of publishing content, publishing thoughts, publishing articles that you read. If you publish photos on Instagram, you could put those on LinkedIn. A lot of people do that these days. It's become a little bit less professional and that's okay. It's a way to engage with others but have fun with it, right? And I think over time, as you build engagement, the other flip of this is, you know, uh, the other side of this is, you know, once you start publishing content regularly, once, twice, three times a week, or, or daily, if you could, every weekday, five a week is great. You also go into your newsfeed and you network with others there. You engage with your network's content. And that helps you build top of mind with your clients, right? With your network. And once they engage back with you, once again, it's sending the LinkedIn algorithm a signal that says, oh, this person is interested in Neil's content. Next time Neil publishes a post, we'll put this a little bit higher in their feed. So this is how, you know, becoming an influencer, it starts the personal branding is sort of the infrastructure, right? But it's all about the content and the engagement and, the, and they got to go together. So the content doesn't have to be your own content. If your company has an employee advocacy program, awesome, right? Tap into the content that your marketing team has, pick and choose what makes sense for your network. But don't forget that engagement. Don't wait for people to engage with you. Go into your feed and engage with others. And if you can do that, you become one of the top 1%. You know, you, you immediately become out of the 700 million members, you know, one of the top 7 million that, or, or maybe top 10 or 20 million, but there aren't that many that show up on a regular basis and engage on a regular basis. For most, it's once a week, once every few weeks. So yeah, I mean, that's, I mean, that, that's the roadmap. That's the game plan that I hope you'll take seriously.
Absolutely. And if you do take it seriously, it's said that you create 45% more sales opportunities as a social seller. So uh, if you're, you know, if you want your team to be hitting the phones less, I think I always think of it as you can make a hundred dials or you can put a LinkedIn post and re reach a thousand people. You know, it's, it's so much quicker if you just invest that time to build up your brand. Uh, one of the things I did when I first <laughs> created a, a LinkedIn profile, I wanted to get rid of the bit where it said I had this many connections. I think when you go over 500, it says um, 500 plus. Um, yep. So I, I went through and connected with anybody that shared my last name just so I could connect with them because they, they all assumed they related to me and they felt that like they had to accept it. <laughs> so my, my well, first group of connections just shared my last name. That was it. <laughs> well, so here's a ninja trick for you that I always recommend. So let's say you're a recruiter and you want to network with, you know, Java or, or Python or, you know, C plus software engineers, whatever it is, right. Do searches for people that have those skills and look for people that have a lot of mutual connections with you. And if there's someone that has 10, 20, 50 mutual connections with you, 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 you name drop, Hey, I'm already connected. You know, I'm already friends with, or connected with, or used to work together with Mary and James and John, just looking to expand my network, right? You'll get a lot of connections with potential candidates or clients, right? Uh, if you do that. And, and once again, this is part of this proactive engagement, but now you're building that, that infrastructure, that database. Um, but yeah, so there's lots of, you know, I, I was a little bit more random. I, my first book was all about LinkedIn open networking or lions. I'm not a member of the lion movement now. I, I, I think you should be targeted because here's the thing that I went through. I was, I joined LinkedIn looking for a job back in 2008, believe it or not. And I'm not looking for a job now. I'm looking for clients. So I have all these recruiters that I'm connected with, but they're not consuming my content. Right. But LinkedIn yeah. sees that we're connected. It's trying to give them my content. They're not engaging with it. And therefore my algorithm reach goes down. So I'm trying to disconnect with people that are irrelevant to me, prune my network and get back connected with others that would more appreciate my work. So that's why relevancy in anything in marketing is really important, but really for your LinkedIn connections, you know, are they going to consume your content or not? Is there a possibility? That should be one of the things you think about when you connect with people you don't know. Yeah. And, and of course, keeping that end goal, you mentioned today to get clients, right? So oh, they may consume your content, but are they going to become a client or do they, is somebody in their exponential network potentially going to become a client? If the answer is no, then, you know, disconnect from the person you went to high school with, right? You know, it's, uh, it's, it's a shame. Okay. If, <laughs> if you hit, if you hit that 20,000 connection block, you know, they're the first people to go, I think at that point. One, one of yeah. the things I do want to talk to you about actually was, um, I was talking to someone actually just today and um, they were looking to um, buy Pager and I was talking about, you know, which sales people may use it in the business. And straight away they said, oh, it'll be the young people that get it. The young people will use Pager. And I was like, well, why, why do you feel that way? Oh, just because they get social media. So I was talking to them about Pager, the product, and, the, and we want them to buy it, obviously. Um, and straight away they were like, well, I think these people would use it, these people wouldn't. And the people they said they would were all under the age of 25. Okay. Why do you, why do you think people's mindset is that social media is for young people, even though it can be extremely powerful for everybody? I think people are still stuck in that mindset, right? You know, Facebook is an old person's network. Let's be honest. Young people stay off it. Um, I, I just think it's also why influencers are painted in a bad picture. It's sort of like this mass media um, approach that that uh, you know that people have to all this is that it's just for young people. I mean, we're we're ten years into it now, folks. I mean, those young people that were that began on Instagram as twenty year olds, they're thirty year olds, or maybe they're thirty five or forty year olds, right? They're they're in the middle now. So you know, I, I just think it's just a lack of understanding. I think that a lot of 
uh, business owners, a lot of executives aren't actively participating in social media themselves. And those are the people that then will say, oh, it's just for young people. So um, yeah, it's just, it, I mean, I, I laugh because those people just miss out on the opportunity. They miss out on the potential and they're forever, their businesses suffer because of that, right? So, uh, but yeah, it's, it's, it's a common phenomenon that I hear, not just in the UK, but in the US and everywhere really, but just people's mindsets don't change. And look, we're in our second decade of social media marketing now, right? I mean, the landscape, as you were saying with, you know, reach, I mean, it's, it is fundamentally different. Who uses it is fundamentally different. A majority of the American workforce are millennials. These are like digital natives, right? They grew up with this stuff. So it's part of their DNA. I mean, my son at 13, he can't use Instagram until he's in high school, right? But in middle school, he's doing it to check up on, you know, he's, he's looking at sports stuff. He's looking at, you know, we're Chelsea fans. I don't know who fans you are, but um, I'm, an, you know, I'm he, an Arsenal fan, but Chelsea, uh, okay. right <laughs> my son's coach is Arsenal fan. It's all good. But you know, he's, <laughs> he, he's looking up sports teams and like, what are the transfer rumors and stuff like that? Um, and, and he's addicted. And so this, you know, social media just becomes more and more a bigger and bigger part of our DNA. Um, the younger and younger you get, but even people in their forties and fifties and six, they're using it right today. So yeah, it's just, it's, it's just time for people to wake up um, and understand it's, you know, 98, I, the stat here in the U S is 98% of employees have at least one social media profile. I mean, if I told you I wasn't on social media, that's almost a red flag, right? Like really? Yeah. Uh, you know what <laughs> I mean? What are you trying to hide? <laughs> Next you'll be telling me you don't watch Netflix. Come on. That's uh, there you go. <laughs> and you've never heard of Amazon, you know, anyway. Yeah. And so for people listening that want to, a lot of the greatest marketers borrow ideas and I use borrow with uh, yeah, air quotes. Are there any brands out there that in the B2B space that you think uses influencer marketing or employee advocacy in an incredible way that they should check out and, and get inspiration from? You know, I think that the best B2B brands are in technology and they're in the Silicon Valley. <laughs> so I think of companies and brands like Cisco like Oracle. Well, I mean, SAP is a German company, but uh, you know, Silicon Valley, uh, SAP, um, the, these, even, you know, Microsoft to some extent, these companies, uh, Microsoft has something called an MVP program, which you could call it a brand ambassador program. And they've been doing it for like two decades. Um, I think that the leading B2B tech brands are the ones that do this. Well, they have influencer programs. They have employee advocacy programs. Intel is another one I'd throw out there. They're um, even though their their main corporate offices are in Portland, I believe, not the Silicon Valley, but 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 similar. So those are some names. I think it's really the bigger companies that have the resources that their CEOs are very long term. They're not looking for short term gains. They're not asking, hey, how many clicks did our employee obviously program get yesterday? It's just it becomes part of this infrastructure of of that a brand has, you know, and it, it's something that you know. What's the ROI of your website, right? It's something you, we don't ask anymore. Although I did present a few years ago, and someone said, "Yep, our CEO still asks that." So you know, but it's digital first today. I mean, you you have to digitally engage with people, and you have to use all the tools at your disposal. So, uh, but yeah, those are the brands I'd say if you do a search for you know B two B influencer marketing case studies, B two B employee advocacy. I think those are the sorts of brands that will come. I know Marriott Hotels is a B2C brand that got heavily in the employee advocacy. Ritz-Carlton, we used to have a, a, a network called Foursquare and they would actually have concierges at local hotels become like Foursquare mayors for the hotel and be concierges and, and you know create lists of places to see for people that checked in, you know, in the city. So um, there have definitely been some interesting brands um, that have done a lot of interesting things. But but generally speaking, it's the B2B tech companies that are 
that are in Silicon Valley. Leading the way. And they've obviously got vast, vast budgets. A lot of marketers Indeed. don't have that, have that luxury, right? So how yeah. would you go about in creating an influencer program, but on a budget? How would you start? I think it would start with a lunch and learn. Um, I have a brother who started, uh, he got, you know, one of these big tech companies reach out to him. And my brother's a winemaker here in, in Santa Barbara County, California. And they do these employee events, right? Employee mm -hmm. engagement. And now they're doing them virtually just to make sure they keep everybody on the same page and make sure everyone's happy. So now he has a new business doing virtual wine tasting. He sends a carton of, of wine out to these, you know, executives or, or employees, and they have a virtual wine tasting. They engage with each other, right? So th that's, you know, it could be a beer, it could be wine, it could be a, a Starbucks, but you, it starts with a conversation. Hey, you know, we all know how important social is. You know how important it is for sales. The executives know how it's important, how it's important for them. We at marketing know, you know, we have some ideas we want to throw in. We want to create a, a VIP program here, or we want to create an ambassador program. And it's going to include our customers or partners. And it's going to include you if you're interested. And we're going to start a training program. If you want to do a photo shoot and look really good for your Instagram bio, we're going to do that. We're going to create a video studio. Um, we want to work with you to create better content for our customers to help you close more deals. Do you want to be part of the program or not? Do you have any ideas? And that's really... You, you said you did close more deals. I mean, I'm 100% I'm yeah. <laughs> There you go. So, well, and, and that's, that's, it starts with a conversation, not a request and not an announcement and not a demonstration of some, you know, whatever tool that, that you got tricked into buying. It's not about the tool. It's about the collaboration, right? Let the tool, we'll figure that out later. Right now, what are different ways in which we can work together? Because social media, it's, it's everyone's social media. I think a lot of employees generally want to be part of their companies, their employer's social media, in all honesty, if you reach out to them and ask them, hey, you know, we know, go into LinkedIn Sales Navigator, look at the employee's that work for you that have posted the LinkedIn last 30 days. That's your starting point. Reach out to all of them. Hey, yeah, it says absolutely. the sales navigator. You, you know what I mean? You, you're active on LinkedIn. Um, we want to put something together. We want you to be part of it. You know, how can we help you? And that's, and maybe include HR. I mean, part of this is sort of internal communications, part of its employee engagement. Um, you know, make it really inclusive, uh, the, the buzzword for today, but make it as inclusive as possible and have an open conversation. And it comes down in sales, WIFM, what's in it for me? What's in it for them? How can we make them happy so that they actually participate and, and they reap benefits? And then obviously you as a business, as a marketer are going to reap the benefits as well. Amazing. And I've only got one last question for you before we wrap up. How did you transition from sales into, into marketing to what you are today? How was that transition and why did it happen? Yeah, so I'm I'm unique. So I'm I'm American, obviously. But in a university, I learned Chinese and Japanese, and I began my career in Japan. So I know a lot right. of you are. Yeah, I know a lot of you. Are B, so my background's B two B. I sold Japanese semiconductors to China. I then sold American embedded software to Japanese companies, and I sold Canadian embedded software to companies throughout Asia. So I was, you know, country manager, VP Asia sales. But I got married. We had a baby girl. We decided to come back to the U.S. to raise the baby girl. That changed everything, right? And then I mentioned 2008 as the year I was on LinkedIn. That was the last great, you know, economic crash that we had. So um, it, what it all led to me having to reinvent myself. That no company was going to hire me to run Asia from the United States, right? They could just hire someone on the ground. So I, I didn't realize it, but I had to reinvent myself, and I started. You know, I, I started getting really heavily active in LinkedIn in February 2008. 
And then I was doing, you know, they had LinkedIn answers back then. And I was just openly networking and LinkedIn groups were actually real and authentic back then. And I was just trying to, you know, I discovered as a salesperson, LinkedIn was an incredible tool, but most people still kept it as a very personal network. And I'm like, no, you miss out the opportunities, you know, to network and get to know people that you don't know. And, 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 you know, fast forward, I find my job in July of 2008. And the day I found my job, I also launched a blog, which I launched on LinkedIn, by the way, they, they used to have these apps, they had a wordpress.com app. I launched a blog all about LinkedIn. So even though I was starting to work, I knew that LinkedIn was going to help me as a salesperson, which the job was, and I wanted to leverage the blog as a networking vehicle. So I could like network 24 seven. So fast forward three and a half months later, the day that President Obama gets elected was the day that my boss flew out and said, we're having a restructuring. They're pulling the plug in international sales. So three and a half months after they hired me, I was out of a job and I was, you know, I, I was like, man, I, I'm so passionate. How can they do this to me? And then I said, you know, I need to create something that no one can take from me. That was my personal brand. And, you know, I, no matter what happens in corporate America, I'm me, I'm going to have this brand and it's going to take me amazing places and nobody can, nobody can tread on it and, and it's never going to be endangered. So, you know, I began to blog more because I had more free time. My wife's like, you should write a book. I'm like, eh, I don't want to write a book. But, um, you know, in 2009, it was hard to get that job. And I ended up writing the book, which led to speaking opportunities. And it was January, 2010, where I had four different companies in the case of, in, in two weeks, reach out to me saying they wanted help with consulting with social media. And at the same time, I was in the final interview for an Asia Pacific business development job with a technology, an FTP software technology company up in the Bay Area. And it was the fork in the road, Neil, what, you're going to go back to corporate and do the, the Asia sales and biz dev, or are you going to do the social media? Uh, and that's where I did the social media. And at the beginning, you know, salespeople weren't in this at all with the, the money, the corporate budgets going into social media back then were it started with PR with sort of like relationship um, uh, management. We don't want people talking about us on Twitter and, and you know, that the PR, and then slowly it moved to marketing. So that's where the, that's where the budgets were, right? Or at the executive team. And that's why I, I shifted more to marketing. I still kept the sales and there, you know, I do social selling trainings and what have you, but, um, but yeah, I mean the, the marketing budgets for social media, as you can imagine, are way more than, than sales budgets. So it, it was just a natural transition, but the sales background that I have, I think gives me a really unique perspective and doing business in Asia and, and launching businesses from scratch there, that gives me a lot of holistic business experience that makes me look at all this very differently than the marketer who's only been doing this or the PR person who's only been doing that, you know, cause sales is all about numbers and results. I mean, you're, you're only as good as your sales last quarter. And that only lasts for one day, right? Celebrate your one day, new quarter. And, and I live that, right? And you know, I, you know, the, the last day of the quarter, having to go into 9 p.m. On a, on a Tokyo subway platform to get the signed contract to go to the closest Kinko's and fax it into the, you know, the headquarters <laughs> office. And I, I lived that life, right? It was awesome. But, but that's, that's why when I come to marketing, it's like, this is no fluff. We have to have impact with that, whatever we do. I don't care about likes. I don't even care about social media followers. Let me start with the website. If you have 10,000 Twitter followers and you're getting zero traffic from Twitter, those followers have absolutely no value. So that's, you know, it's sort of this, this real life, this real life approach that I take from my sales background that, uh, that I think has helped me and, and hopefully helped my clients. I think is absolutely fantastic. I think let's, let's call it a, a night there. Thank you so much. Just for the people listening and watching, how can they, number one, how can they get your book and how can they get in touch with you if they, if they want to? 
Well, my book is called The Age of Influence. It's it's sold everywhere that you can find books. I, I've already had some reviews from, from Amazon UK, for instance, from Amazon Germany. And so I know you can get in those networks. Um, my podcast, since you're listening to podcasts, is called the Maximize Your Social Influence podcast, if you want to delve deeper into this concept of digital influence. And then my name is Neil Schaefer. So my website is neilschafer.com. I'm Neil Schaefer everywhere on social media. I am the real Neil, so it's N-E-A-L, and then it's S-C-H-A-F-F-E-R. Perfect. Thank you so much for your time. I will catch up with you soon. Thank you very much as well, Darren. It was awesome. I'm sorry I couldn't I, I couldn't engage with you with the beer, but uh, um, next time. <laughs> Absolutely, next time.